In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. As listeners of this podcast know, the Walt Disney Company encompasses so many different branches. And one of them, of course, is the ABC Network, which has many different avenues and entities from primetime to daytime. And one of its spaces is ABC News. And in his new book, ABC News, 75 Years in the Making, author John Baxter, who you might recall as the author of the wonderful Disney during World War II book. He chronicles the evolution of the network, um, including its personalities, major stories, and ultimately world history along the way. Um, So I'm really excited to bring John on the podcast to talk about this new release, how he developed it, and ultimately what you can find in store. So let's get to that interview. For three quarters of a century, ABC News has delivered up-to-date information on world events via television, radio, and digital platforms. And in John Baxter's new book, The News Division of the Alphabet Network, is the cover story. ABC News' 75 years in the making showcases the evolution of the brand, the talent, and the stories along the way. And John is here to discuss writing this new title. So welcome to Notably Disney, John. Thank you, thank you for having me. Well, it's a a real pleasure. And um, I'd like to just, before we get into the development of the book, in in case folks aren't familiar with you and your uh, previous writing endeavors, could you give a little bit of context to what your endeavors have included? Sure, Um, well, so I've been uh, been a freelance writer and editor for several decades, uh, but only full-time in the last 10 years or so. Um, before that, I was uh, I worked in magazine publishing, uh, worked on Wall Street. I was a lawyer for, for a while. Uh, and all the while, though, I was writing on the side and editing on the side. And I just uh, eventually circumstances um, led me to uh, focusing full time on it really became um, once once I started working for Disney as a sort of writer for hire. That's when it, uh, it you know, it kind of 
became a full-time thing. It's a, it's a great feeling because it's, you know, it just, it's, it just uh, represents um, uh, that they're happy with you, you know, as a writer. It's not, uh, it's, a, it's a tough business getting work as a writer. And if you can get a steady uh, stream of work from, from an entity like Disney, it really is a, it, it really makes you feel like you're, you know, you've arrived. Absolutely. Well, and I know we're going to talk about your new ABC News title in just a moment, but I think it's worth highlighting uh, one of your prior releases for um, Disney Publishing was the excellent Disney during World War II book, um, which debuted back in 2014. Considering that this that was a very turbulent and distinct time in the company's history, what was that opportunity like for you as a writer and someone to explore its history? Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's, that was, uh, that book was my idea. I mean, in other words, I pitched the idea to Disney before I'd done any work for them. And, um, uh, it was just something that I'd become a huge Disney fan. Uh, my wife and I took our daughter to Disney world every year for almost 16 years. And I became a Disney fanatic. I had always been a world war II um, student of that period, if you will. And uh, I had been read, I'd read that there were some, uh, that Disney had done all this work for um, the war effort, but there was no single book out there that, that focused on that exclusively. It was, uh, you know, magazine articles and mentions here and there and a scholarly work or, or two. But so I, the idea, I thought it was a great feel good Disney story to talk about how Walt had sort of basically turned the studio into a, uh, a production facility for, for government training films and propaganda films and uh, uh you know at and and at no at not uh, it was for not for profit it was uh, he did everything at cost um and i just thought well that's a great story you know because we everyone loves uh, the, the whole idea of you know pitching in during a national crisis um and and disney really did more more so than any other single studio so i just thought what a great you know that's a disney's gonna love this idea so i pitched it to them and they they did like it uh but they kind of sat on it for i think it was three or four years and i i'd kind of given up on it and then they contacted me one day and said let's do it so um so that was, you know, and then I got to go out to Burbank and, and you know, go through the archives, which was that, what, a, what an experience. Um, um, so that book came out of what I was able to find in the files in Burbank, basically, and um, just had the best time doing it. It was the most fun I've ever had on any work project in my life. That's wonderful. Well, and I know in having visited the Walt Disney Family Museum, in San Francisco, I think it was in 2013. So it would have been right before your book debuted. I feel like at, your book is almost a nice compliment to, to some of the exhibitions featured in that space covering that portion of, of Disney history. Yeah, and then, well, they've actually got a, I mean, it all got messed up by the, uh, the pandemic, but they had scheduled a, um, uh, an exhibit on the second world, Disney and World War II. And my book was sort of an inspiration for that. Um, and uh, I don't know what the status is now, but you're right. It's uh, um, they have a wonderful um, section dealing with that period, and it, uh, it it all sort of everything kind of plugged in nicely to to my treatment of it in the book. Which, you know, again, it was limited to what I what was available in the archives. And fortunately, there was just enough to to string together a solid narrative of that period. 
Absolutely. Well, thinking about, I think a common thread here actually may be the mid 1940s because that was also um, a period when ABC News originated. How did the opportunity to chronicle the history of this new news division come to fruition? Uh, in terms of my, my involvement? Correct, yeah. Um, well, it's really just a simple matter of having um, done several books for, for Disney editions and, uh, you know, been on time with my manuscripts and uh, executed what they, you know, what, the, well and given them what they wanted that they just continued to um, my, my editor, Wendy Lefcon, who's uh, just an amazing person and, and a professional. Uh, she um, thinks of me for these projects when she sees something that requires a, um, a you know, writer for hire with a, with a background in history, she thinks of me immediately. And so I think, I think that was the connection was my uh, having done that, uh, the history of the studio during the forties, that it would be an, uh, a short leap from there to, to chronicling uh, the history of ABC television. So what was your connection to ABC News over the years from just a viewer consumer standpoint? Uh, well, I mean, I was, I was a big fan of ABC growing up, especially during the, uh, like the Rune Arledge years from the late seventies. Uh, I don't really, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember before that, but uh, I wasn't, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time watching the news, but that period really, um, I really got a uh, nightline. I thought was a brilliant um, uh, format for, for, for um, news analysis. And I, I watched it a lot and uh, you know, and I, and the whole, you know, that, that galaxy of, of superstar talent on air talent that they assembled under Rune Arledge really just made it to, I, I kind of felt like uh, that's how a news organization should look and, and run, you know, should be operated the way that, they, I mean, they're all, all the networks, uh, I have to say, I mean, I've watched them all during that period, but that one, ABC really uh, stood out for me. It just felt like it had this kind of edge in terms of innovation and, um, connection with the viewer. Yeah, well, and, and you really cover that period very, um, I think, thoroughly in the book, and particularly based on just covering in many sections each decade of the network, or certainly earlier sections of the book cover um, larger periods of time. But I, I guess I'm wondering, so you have this opportunity to to write about ABC News. What resources did you have at your disposal? What was kind of the vision for this book? Well, uh, the resources at my disposal consisted of the uh, ABC News publicity department, um, their photo archives, uh, the, you know, the on-air talent that all you know, were willing to be interviewed for the book. Um, there hadn't been any, there'd been a couple of books done years ago on uh, covering the Rune Arledge, and there was another book from the uh, um, early 90s uh, about um, Rune Arledge and his influence on the network. And I, I, I really, you know, relied heavily on those two books just to sort of get my uh, a grounding in, in the, the, the sequence of events and so forth that, that were taking place. Um, <clears throat> but the, um, I found that talking to, uh, I got the most information talking to some of the uh, producers that have worked for ABC News over the years. Phyllis McGrady uh, was, gave me a ton of great information. Um, <clears throat> and Rick Kaplan, 
was uh, that was just a phenomenal interview. I wish I could. I wanted to include uh, basically word for word everything he said. But it, you know, when you when you're doing a um, a history book covering this long a period, you have to you really have to pick and choose um, your sound bites, if you will. So uh, so the resources, as I say, were and I mean everyone gave of their time. Diane Sawyer, Sam Donald who's you know semi-retired uh, David Muir um, Koki Roberts so actually right I probably did the last interview with her before she passed and she was just a wonderful interview and really generous with her time I had no idea she was that ill so it really was quite moving when I when I heard that she you know she'd done that for me uh, under those circumstances um, so so that was the other than that it was you know selecting photographs uh, from each decade and that were representative of the, of you know, what was happening at the network. Um, and they had uh, quite a few, uh, the early years were sketchy, were, were not as well covered because it just was, you know, they were really, it took a while for ABC news to get going in the fifties. Um, and they didn't really hit their stride until the, I'd, you know, I'd say the late sixties, early seventies. So, uh, so that hopefully, I think I may have gone beyond the uh, boundaries of your question there, but hopefully I answered it. Yeah, no, certainly. And I'd love to cover some of those components um, as well. We're, in, in terms of just expectations for the book, whether expectations held by publishing or yourself, did, were there any, I don't know, restrictions or boundaries that you had to navigate given just how much could be in the book or what topics could or could not be covered? Well, certainly there was, um, there was a, a very clear sense of that this is a celebration of the network. So it, it wasn't going to be a, a sort of warts and all approach to, to ABC news. And although there's really not a ton of um, uh, material that's, that isn't, it doesn't redound to its credit, to be honest with you. So there was this sense of it's a celebration. So everything it's all about what, what has ABC done right over the years. Um, I obviously didn't want to focus on um, uh, personality conflicts that have happened here and there. I mean, I do I do touch on it, um, but but really, I was I was not given any. Um, nobody said you can't talk about this or you must talk about that. It was really they just sort of let me. Um, uh, use my common sense in, uh, in, in approaching subject matter. Right. Well, and I think per, per the notion of like personality conflicts, I think the one that you um, highlight very appropriately was um, with Harry Reisner and Barbara yeah, Walters, which exactly. obviously most people familiar with the history of TV news um, recognize that that was um, particularly hard um, on her because of, yeah. Um, sexism and, and certainly um, some degree of, of egos in, involved. How did you feel like that uh, you had to include that given that it was such a, a notable comp time of in, you know, primetime news history? Yes, I did. I felt that Barbara Walters, she's such a, a central component part of the success of ABC in that, you know, during their golden years. Um, that you know, really you couldn't say too much about what she did and how she got to where she you know that that, that platform where she had the power to to really um, sort of change the nature of 
television interviews and so on. She, you know, so I, yes, I, I felt that it was essential to, to mention that it was not an easy um, entrance for her. Um, I think she took a lot of, uh, she took a lot of heat for, from the uh, patriarchal society for daring to ask for, for a million dollars or whatever, she called her the million dollar baby, that's in the book, but um, uh, the, you know, how dare, how dare this woman, you know, come in and, uh, and, and demand terms and so forth, you know, she'd be happy that she has the job. I, I mean, look, I didn't think, I don't think that Harry Reasoner was necessarily uh, showing off, showing his um, male chauvinism in his approach. I think he was, it might've been more a professional jealousy or professional, um, you know, he was uncomfortable because he was used to being um, sort of number one. And he was, he was a terrific, he was really a terrific uh, journalist. Well, I just, I didn't want anyone to come away thinking, oh, well, what a jerk he was. But I, but he did make it difficult. He was, he, he did make it tough for Barbara for a period of time. And I think it's just indicative of our, you know, it's a great sort of snapshot of our society where we stood at that point in terms of gender and equality and so forth. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so that was, and I, I mean, you can see if you go and look at footage of the, them on the air together, the, the, the tension is palpable. So, um, you know, you almost have to talk about it. Right, well, and I was th thinking back too, because a, a good deal of the content focuses on the anchors, the personalities who have comprised ABC News over the years. And, and, and I guess I wondered how you, given that there, there have been so many changes in terms of who has hosted different shows or who's held certain roles, how, how you navigated like embedding that part of it alongside just the notion of the evolution of the network more broadly in terms of its transitions across different media and, and complementing world events. How did you, I guess, find the balance or a way of accounting for all those different factors? Yeah, well, it was it, you, the one the one thing you wanted to avoid um, with all of the personnel changes and switching around was the you didn't want to give the impression of uh, you know con constant failure. Uh, in other words, you know they were willing to try things. I mean, that was um, you know ABC, as you know, was uh, sort of the third network for a while. They were the, they were newcomers. They didn't have a, a decades of radio experience be, uh, behind them when, when they entered the television, uh, um, you know, the network competition. And so they always had to kind of make up for it with uh, innovation or, to tr you know, experimentation and so on. And so that was the approach I tried to establish a sense of, this is experimentation rather than, um, you know, personnel failures or, uh, uh, you know, poor fits and so forth. Yeah, so it was uh, it was not easy to uh, to create a smooth narrative where you have, as, as I say, so many changes happening in such a short period. And it also, it, it you want to avoid um, uh, confusing the reader because if you have so many changes in such a short span, you know, you can't even remember who's doing what. So it was that was the challenge for me was to. Um, try to talk about it um, in a measured way where it, um, it, it, the reader could sort of follow along without wondering, wait a minute, well, who was in charge before? I forget, or who was running what? 
and also to make it feel like it was um, a work in progress, you know, rather than um, random personnel decisions. I probably, I think I overcomplicated my, my answer there, but. Uh, no, not at all. You can edit it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think it, it made clear sense. And as someone who's just, uh, my background is in journalism, um, in my undergrad at least, and someone who had long consumed different parts of ABC News, I think it was, um, it was very straightforward. And, and I think you made a really interesting point in the book in terms of that as the third network, ABC was just trying to gain legitimacy. And, and you mentioned you just now too, as far as the role of experimentation, you also point out that viewers at times were not in the earlier decades of the network, were not able to develop anchor loyalties due to a lot of the, the switches uh, among yep. anchors. What, what was your interpretation of that in, um, in, in being able to, I guess, relay that story and, and relate just the complexities? Well, um, I mean, I, it just, as I was researching, I was always got, had one eye on what was ABC, what was CBS and NBC doing at that same time. And clearly they had, you know, that long established connection with viewers that you get when you have a, an anchor for, you know, in that, in that chair for 10, 15, 20 years. So you had Walter Cronkite, you know, you had <clears throat> John Chancellor and, um, so these were personality-driven viewership decisions. In other words, I'm tuning in because I love John Chancellor. I'm tuning in because Walter Cronkite's the best. And ABC, um, you know, needed to find another way. I mean, they they were certainly shooting for that. They wanted to get to that point themselves, and they did eventually with with you know Peter Jennings and so forth. But um, you know, they had to. Um, I think they knew that that wasn't something that was going to happen overnight. And in the meantime, we need to, to keep things moving along and, and let's try this or let's try that combination. You know, um, they held on to that, the three, the three anchor format uh, much longer than you would have expected, given that uh, the way the other networks were succeeding with the, the single anchor format. Um, but it, uh, you know, I think the point I made in the book about that that's, that's relevant is that what this is doing was biding time for ABC's uh, correspondence to gain the experience necessary to become those, you know, uh, anchors with gravitas and, and um, you know, wide experience. Like eventually, you know, as, as I mentioned in the book, Peter Jennings had a, an early incarnation as the, uh, the evening news anchor for the network. And it, he was just considered too uh, inexperienced for it to, you know, the audiences were, as you, as you can see, if you look at who was, uh, be, you know, sitting in that chair over the years at the, the different networks, they were never young people. I mean, that's a fairly recent um, phenomenon, you know, you think of David Muir. I mean, that, that was not possible back then. You had to, you had to be a, um, you know, uh, a veteran, um, and, and literally and figuratively, as it, as it turns out, you know, these were all World War II uh, correspondents in the early days. And, uh, and that's what happened with Peter Jennings. When he came back, he'd had a ton of experience, you know, setting up bureaus around the world and covering every conceivable um, news story. Um, and when he went, sat down in the anchor chair for the second time, that experience really showed. And, um, so I think that was the, uh, 
certainly that was my take that that was, you know, it may not have been intentional on their part, but it seemed to me like they, they were, they did have the long game. They were playing the long game um, at that point. Right. Right. And I could even draw parallels. You obviously you mentioned Peter Jennings, but even someone like Sam Donaldson, who was yeah. a correspondent for a number of years. And, no. and yeah. that was David Muir's origins as well, where he was a, someone always out in the field. Right. And I mean, uh, you know, David Muir is, uh, he sort of, he grew up worshiping or, you know, not worshiping, but he grew up in, in awe of Peter Jennings. And I think he sort of tried to model himself on, he wanted to be that, he wanted to go the same route and he did. I mean, he covered, David Muir was, has been everywhere, you know, and, and you know, in person, not, you know, up, up in airplanes and helicopters and uh, near the front lines of, of combat and so on, just always in the thick of it. And he did that for years before he got, you know, was uh, tapped to be the uh, the World News Tonight anchor. And so I think he kind of followed Jennings' um, uh, lead in that regard. Absolutely. One one thing you mentioned, John, was the opportunity to interview some of these anchors, um, both past and, and unfortunately in Koki Roberts' um, mm -hmm. case right before she passed away. Did, was there in terms of your access to these individuals, was that, was that based on who you specifically wanted to enlist in the book or, or who was available? How did you ultimately gather those perspectives? Well, uh, yeah, I, I certainly wanted to speak to all of the, the big, you know, the sort of the big name um, anchors that were, uh, especially if they were still working for the network, you know, for, so for example, I knew that I had to speak with D Diane Sawyer, um, I wanted to speak with, um, obviously I was going to speak with David Muir. Um, but yeah, anyone who, uh, first of all, they gave me complete, I mean, as I say, they all gave very freely of their time. I, I have Dan, I have Sam Donaldson in my, I, I don't, I have, I can't delete it because it's so cool. I open up my contacts and there's Sam Donaldson, you know, he said, Hey, call me anytime. You have any follow-up questions. It's fine. We had the best conversation with him, but, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was really pretty straightforward, you know, like who's still around, uh, who still works for ABC um, as, and would be, you know, obviously willing to 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 get into it with me uh, about the history of the network. You know, I would love to have spoken to uh, um, a number of former ABC uh, personnel who, but so I kept it at uh, those who were still there or, or were still sort of tied to the network in some way. Like Sam Donald says, I say is semi-retired, but he does do he he does do a periodic uh, pieces for them still, and and I noticed, John, that scattered throughout the book are like little profile pieces about some of these anchors, um, yeah. particularly situated based on at least what I gleaned is based on decades in which they kind of came to prominence. Was was that a very intentional choice as a way of kind of spotlighting folks because there was perhaps not enough room to talk about their backstories within the main chapters? Yeah, that was something that I, I um, my editor and I, Wendy and I uh, talked about uh, at length, um, you know, how to, how to sort of format the, the, the book's uh, ability to showcase the, you know, the backgrounds of each of the big, the major um, ABC players over the years. And it just seemed sort of a natural um, approach to, to do a, a, a close up or a profile and, and try to sort of, you know, accommodate it within the structure of the book in terms of the, you know, chron chronologically. 
And so, you know, if you're reading the book, you probably think, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that belongs there. But yeah, before you before it's written, you know, these are the things that you have to uh, figure out. And, you know, you could have we could have done little mini bios, the first mention of the name of each of these people in the narrative. But it was decided that from a sort of coffee table book perspective, it's also about how the look you know, the, the layout is very important in these, uh, in these titles and that, that, um, setting it off as a, as a separate piece, a uh, profile piece, I, you know, we thought was, was probably the best way of doing that. And I think it, I think we were right because it looks great. You know, it really, it blends beautifully in, in with the, uh, uh, the sort of the, the look of, of and feel of the book as you're going through it. Yeah, for sure. What and, and talking with some of these really prolific news personalities, what were there any specific anecdotes or pieces of information that they shared with you that that you interpret as wow, I, I'm so I'm so glad to have learned about this from XYZ person? Yeah, I mean <clears throat> a lot, really. Um I as a, and I couldn't use a ton of material for any from any one interview you know it's you really have to just go in and find some something that encapsulates you know what you're what you're trying to say about the person uh but i had um i mean sam donaldson went had endless uh anecdotes but these are people who have been interviewing other people for a living for longer than i've been alive and or in most cases um and so it was an interesting um, feeling to sit down. Well, I actually did it remotely, but um, to, to, to interview someone like <clears throat> Diane Sawyer is like, um, I should just let you run the interview, Diane, you know, because what do I know about interviewing? But so, but they all knew, I mean, they're all so good at what they do and they also understood my, the position I was in. So they were, they came ready, you know, they were ready to, they, they knew exactly what to say. They knew how to, they, they kind of directed the, um, the, the way the interviews went because the, the way they, they framed their answers, it was just perfect. You know, they made it so much easier for me, but yeah, so there were, I mean, um, Rick Kaplan, as I, who, as I said, was uh, one of the sort of um, bright lights on the production side uh, and during their golden years and beyond. He had, a, he had a ton of great stories that we couldn't talk about, you know, because they were about people and about in, in incidents and about, I mean, they were all things that, <clears throat> I mean, they were not, none of it made ABC look, you know, bad in any way. It's just that they were, they didn't belong in the narrative but it was certainly a lot of fun for me. And I've, I've, I've got the recordings and I'll treasure them forever because they're just, um, they're just terrific uh, uh, moments of clarity and honesty from these icons, you know, from that I grew up kind of, you know, uh, in awe of. Yeah, well, and, and I was thinking back to what you were saying earlier about this book really being a celebration of the network. And I feel like in, in that sense, it's, um, it's, it's very different from, for instance, some of these books that have debuted in the past decade or so that cover the politics and challenges within various news networks. Um, immediately, I think of a title like Top of the Morning by Brian Stelter, a reality show by Howard Kurtz. How, how do you feel that your book complements existent books that focus more on the behind the scenes of the news divisions and all the complications compared to 
your title, which is more of just a, uh, a glimpse into the evolution of, a, of one particular news division? Well, <clears throat> I think that, um, uh, first of all, I think it, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice way to sort of um, learn the history of the period, to go through the lens of, of a single um, news entity over the years, because it is, you know, what they're doing is they're covering current events and eventually the current events become history. So it's just this big continuum of um, reporting history. Uh, and so when you, I, I kind of like the idea of a single network uh, approach to a book of, because it, you know, it really sort of freezes everything in, in with great clarity, you know, the way the network handled the, the Kennedy debates, uh, the way the network handled the, the you know, the, um, the Munich, the 1972 Munich Olympics, um, you know, tragedy. Um, if, if you, you know, by focusing on one network's uh, handling of, of, of things throughout history, you really get, uh, I think, a, a clear review of, uh, you know, the life, the, the times that we're talking about, you know, the zeitgeist and, um, you know, what was important to people and what, how, how, how you needed to make, how, how things needed to be uh, fr framed in order to be palatable for people during this period or that period. So um, I don't think that, you know, obviously it's not a hard hitting, um, no holds barred approach to, to um, talking about ABC. It's, uh, you know, it's very much a, um, the best of, you know, what's good about it. And, um, you know, uh, but I think there's, I, I guess it's kind of a, a one-off in a way, you know, in, in answer to your question and where does it fit with the other books uh, that you mentioned? I don't think it really is a, I think it's kind of its own uh, category. Yeah, you know, kind of parallels that I made to it were, and I can't think of the authors off the top of my head, but I remember it was probably in the early 2000s, there was a book about the history of, of the Today Show, for instance, yeah. and um, just again, very, very singular um, foci and, and just kind of concentrating on that and the evolution of a show in this case, broader news division, but the same focus on like, what was happening in the world in concert with how a, a news division just um, emerges um, kind of in the, in the midst of these really big titans and, and ultimately comes to form its own identity. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> what was happening helped in, in the world really helped shape what ABC News became and, and the other networks to some extent. I mean, as we talked about earlier, you know, World War II was the kind of proving ground for serious news coverage. I mean, that was, um, I think that was when uh, all of the networks, radio networks really at the time, um, they learned a lot about how to, how to cover news seriously and, and, you know, in a way, because people were addicted to hearing the latest reports from the front, you know, during, during the war, they had, they had relatives who were fighting, they were in harm's way and everyone wanted to know the latest. And that was a sort of, um, you know, people had gathered around their radios before that, before the war, but it was to listen to, you know, entertainment. Uh, this was the first time that news became this sort of um, focal point in the, in the day of, in the life of a, of a family, um, you know, to have the family radio. And so, the same thing happened later on. Like the Vietnam War for television became 
um, this place where this, this, this um, environment where serious news coverage really uh, came into its own for the, the new, you know, the, the, the modern era of, of television news coverage. Um, you know, Peter Jennings would spend a lot of time there. Sam Donaldson covered, he was in, I think, Saigon. Um, you know, it was, uh, so, so the, what's happening in the world is very much relevant to how, in, in the case of ABC, certainly how it, how it, what it became and how it evolved and the way it, 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 uh, approached news coverage. Right. Well, and even just the emergence of programs by virtue of world events, like the origins of Nightline being a prime yeah. example of that too. It's a great example. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was, and I remember that. I remember the hostage crisis and I remember the, 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 the nightly, uh, show on ABC. I forget the original title of it. It's a long thing, but, um, and then I, and then it just morphed into Ted Koppel doing Nightline. I just thought, wow, that was, that literally came out of like something out of nothing, you know? And um, so, yeah, that's the perfect example of uh, world events sort of shaping the evolution of a, of, of a news network. Well, and, and more recently, certainly the coronavirus pandemic has been all over um, the headlines and you actually open your book um, with the news division's coverage of the pandemic, particularly um, last year in 2020. Why, why start out the book um, in that fashion, particularly since the rest of the book is um, chronological? Well, <clears throat> the, uh, actually, the, the, chrono the, the chronological portion of the book was all written. Uh, it was still being edited and you know, uh, finessed, but that was all done. And then um, the pandemic hit. And, and, you know, and then uh, Black Lives Matter, Matter protests began and, and so on. And so that the, the decision was made after the manuscript was more or less in the shape it was going to be for publishing to add these uh, because it just, they were, I mean, the pandemic is certainly, it's probably the biggest news story of, of our time. I mean, it really is. And, uh, and Black Lives Matter is not far behind, if not, if not, it's even more significant, has a more lasting significance, certainly. So um, the, uh, uh, the decision was to start the book with those chapters and then, and then sort of let the reader sort of relax again and you know, go back and let's start at the beginning. Um, but if it had been to, to put to, to shoehorn that stuff into the existing chapters just felt like it would do a disservice to uh, covering those topics properly, you know, and that they deserve that, um, the, 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 you know, the sharp focus. And, and also, um, you know, putting them first in the book <clears throat> is a nod to how important they are. Um, they're more important, those events are more relevant and important to us than than any one aspect of the history of the network. So it just felt like it needed to be uh, upfront. Sure. Now that rationale makes really good sense. And one thing that I was thinking about earlier that you mentioned is just um, having access to uh, ABC News photo archives and all of these really cool images, whether it be um, some of the reporters out in the field or, or even just major um, historical events. What was, were there any particular fun finds that you uncovered and ultimately incorporated in the book? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I the, 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 that shot of Martin Luther King Jr. with the, uh, the, the clapboard in front of him, you know, uh, that, when I saw that, I thought, oh, my, that, that was the first photo that I saw where I said, well, that's going in the book. You know, that's just too perfect. Um, and yeah, there were, there were quite a few. I mean, I had to, you know, I, I needed help. I had assistance from, uh, from my editor and from the photo department people um, sort of deciding, you know, you got to narrow it down for me because there's so many, you know, they've got um, now everything is, you know, it's not like the, the Disney World War II book. There were some, there were some files, but it, there were a lot of uh, gaps. And now they've, you know, the photographic history of ABC News goes back. Uh, it's very thorough, you know, very comprehensive all the way back to the early 60s. So there had, you know, there was a lot of winnowing out of what, what can't we use? You know, there were so many great shots. Um, so, uh, but yeah, the, my favorite was the, the Martin Luther King Jr. And he's sitting down and they're, they're you know, they're doing the take. Um, and, um, and just uh, pretty much all of them. I mean, I, I, you know, there was, uh, sometimes there wasn't a photo available, but you had to do a screen grab, which is, you know, basically a, a photo of, of what's on the television screen at that moment. Uh, like when Peter Jennings is sitting down with uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, but I actually thought, well, that's kind of that grainy screen grab look is, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's, it hasn't, it, it, it lends atmosphere to the, uh, to what was happening in that moment. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I appreciated certainly your, your text, but, and I think having these really dynamic images complementing them, it, it made it feel more immersive as opposed yeah. to just reading. And mind you, I think certainly the, the notion of this book as a celebration lends itself to having a lot of imagery, but um, different from, you know, other titles where, again, it's just, it, it's just the narrative and you don't have that sense of full perspective to what things look like and, and how, how people were engaging with one another in different settings. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and it's very much more the case with this book than say the photographic images that I included in the World War II book, which, you know, were just anything you could get that was from that period, it ended up in the book because there was so little. And, but with, uh, with this book, it was, you know, you're, it's a visual medium of television. So um, you really need to have that visual element in there to, uh, to drive the narrative, I felt anyway. I thought it was, a, it was a nice combination. Absolutely. Was there any content that you had to leave out of the book? I know you mentioned certainly the great interview content with the folks you talked with, but in terms of other material that you had gathered and really felt strongly about, but ultimately couldn't fit within? Not really, no. I mean, as uh, as much as um, as much as I'm, you know, making the case that that ABC News has been well, you know, um, archived over the years, you know, well, uh, they've preserved their uh, heritage very well. And at the same time, um, a lot of the narrative had to sort of, you know, you have to sort of pull it out of thin air based on your uh, inferences about what was going on and, and where, what direction it was heading in and so on. There was not a lot of uh, uh, material that um, just presented itself archivally to me, like, well, this can go in and this can go in. It really was, a, it was, a, you know, it had to be pieced together. And so 
there really wasn't much in the way of, if any, of in terms of excess or material that just didn't, you know, fit with the tone of the book or anything like that. Like what you see in the book is pretty much everything that I was able to come up with that, you know, would tell the story. Yeah, that's, that's definitely helpful to know. And I also want to say as a reader, one thing I appreciated was that not only did you highlight all of the, the major anchors and folks that any um, you know, lay news person, consumer would recognize, but also individuals who were trailblazers at different times, like you mentioned Carol yes. Simpson, um, Juju Chang, and uh, Max Robinson, so many folks who ultimately were um, not only extremely um, great journalists or are great journalists, but also were, were pioneers um, based on gender and, and race and, and other other salient identities. Yeah, that's true. Um, I felt that I didn't do a lot of research into the other networks to see where they stood in terms of uh, groundbreaking hires and so forth. Uh, but it struck, but I do believe that ABC was the leader in that area. I mean, I think, you know, Peggy Whedon, I think we talked about, uh, or I, I mentioned her a number of times in the book. She, oh, she yeah. was the creator of uh, Issues and Answers and also an early producer of the its successor uh, this week, David Brinkley. Um, she was a dynamo. I mean, she did everything. She, and she, and, but, but they um, entrusted her with it. And this was at a time when that was not going, that was not the case. Um, you know, women in, uh, uh, at the, uh, on the production side were few and far between. And uh, I, I, I got the feeling as I did my research that ABC really was kind of a leader in, in, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, integration um, and gender equality and so on. And, in in, you know, not in a, in a, grand sweeping gesture kind of a way, but slowly but surely over the years, um, they were plugging in uh, uh, these underrepresented groups into their organization. And, um, and you know, today you can see that the, the uh, it's not a phony, you know, last minute thing for ABC to have this incredibly diverse uh, group of, uh, of producers and on-air talent. That's something that has evolved over a long period of time and they were doing it, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So um, I, I thought that needed to be talked about, obviously. I didn't want to harp on it, you know, as if to, 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 you know, in a self-congratulatory way for the network, but just to point out that, you know, while they were being innovative, they were also um, sort of cutting edge in that, in, in terms of, you know, personnel hires uh, and going, outside the box on that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on that. It's not it's not shoehorned in or, or made where like, let's spotlight this, but rather this was part of its story. And, no. and, fi- and again, kind of like just the notion of correspondence eventually becoming anchors, but people just gradually ascending to, to higher roles based on their, their talent and perseverance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, there, there have been, um, women producing at ABC News for uh, a long time. And they've, they've been a, a really important part of that, that, you know, element of the network for, for a lot longer than I think people realize, you know, they tend to look at the on-air talent, but on the production side, it was even more um, sort of uh, ahead of their time, ABC was. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you on that. John, what would you say is a, 
is something that you hope readers come away with after checking out your book? What, what would you hope their interpretation be of, of the history of ABC News? Uh, I would want them to, to, you know, have a new appreciation for if, if they're not a huge fan to begin with, or they didn't really think about it. I would want them to come away feeling that <clears throat> seeing ABC News as uh, the, um, how do I want to put this? Well, I mean, the self-image that ABC is putting out in this book that we're, you know, we're innovators, we're, we're experimenters, we, you know, we, 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 we try new things and if they don't work, we, we tweak them until they do. Uh, I would want people to, to come away thinking, you know, that's the essence of ABC News was they were always, they've always been uh, challenging themselves to be better and to be to connect more with viewers and to not just be this monolithic organization with a, a talking head on, on the screen, but a, you know, a vibrant, diverse, uh, you know, innovative organization that's constantly growing and evolving and pushing itself to, to improve. And, you know, that might sound, uh, you know, simplistic, but I think I honestly, I came away with that uh, impression uh, having written the book and not having really, thought a ton about network news history. You know, I, I came away really impressed with the way the organization has, has grown and handled itself over the years. And I, that's what I want readers to, to, to get from the book, which is that, you know, ABC really is, they do stand out in, in several really incredibly important ways that are, that are as important now as ever, you know. Um, so that I guess is my long winded, answer to your question. I, th I think it, make, it made perfect sense to me. And yeah, and that was, I, I guess that was a component that I gleaned from it. Like there were so many modifications made to certain programs or, or different ways of presenting news that were distinct. Um, I mean, just that evolution of like um, s some of these news magazine shows yeah, and, and exactly. how they shifted. And yeah. e even, even Good Morning America with right. um, in the the prior iteration of that, AM America, I believe it was called, it didn't quite work, but they made some changes and then it ultimately became um, an institution. Exactly, yeah, everything, uh, they, nothing was disposable. Everything was um, you know, a learning experience, you know? AM America was a learning experience that led to Good Morning America. And, you know, <clears throat> um, but uh, I think that, uh, well, it's, it's, oh, it fascinates me that, that uh, ABC exists. Um, it was, if it weren't for antitrust uh, legislation, they probably ABC News wouldn't exist. You know, they were, they sort of, they were born out of this, born out of necessity, the necessity of one network divesting itself of some of its holdings. And then another, uh, you know, and then uh, and then Paramount Theaters uh, divesting, you know. So it's those two divestments that really led to the creation of ABC News. And so it's and it's always been, from that point on, it's never stopped being um, this kind of unlike the other. You know, it just stands out for that. You know, it's 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 something that was. Uh, I'm, I'm now I'm I'm totally rambling here. I'm trying to. Where was I going? Okay. Um, well, let's just back up for a second, I, and I don't, you're probably running out of time, but um, okay. I think the, uh, well, why don't you ask me another question and then we'll, well, that'll center me. Uh, I, I think my final question for you is just in terms of 
the the notion of of the network being so experimental and ultimately trying to work out the kings with different programs until they found a sweet spot. That's that to me as a reader um, intrigued me, and I think shows its its success and longevity. Yeah, and I mean, and I think you can look at the the what what happened with Nightline. I mean, Byron Pitts talks about it in the book. Um, he was another terrific interview, by the way. Um, about how they had to pivot during the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, um, uh, you know, um, coverage to turning uh, Nightline back temporarily into the, it's going back to its roots and, and being a single issue news uh, analysis show because it had evolved over the years into a, a magazine sort of approach with multiple stories. And so, uh, being ABC News and and always being ready to sort of uh, you know adapt to the to the exigencies of the moment, they were able to to you know reinvent temporarily reinvent Nightline to suit the needs of the pandemic coverage. So it's just it's still going on, you know. I mean, it's it's it really is. They are really are um, continuing to be that that ent- that uh, innovative. Um, adaptive, flexible uh, entity that, that they've become famous for being over the years. I think that's a, a really uh, apropos note to, to end on. Before we conclude, John, I, I do have some Disney opinion related questions for you. Um, sure. And as we all appreciate that uh, ABC News is a division of uh, Disney. So everything's in the family here. And I know we talked prior to the recording about your um, passion and background um, in Disney. So let's start off with some music related questions. What Mm -hmm. Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Uh, That would be the Jungle Book. Um, I I went and saw it in the theater with my parents and uh, I, I literally bought the soundtrack in the lobby of the theater on our way out. Wow. So it, you want, you wanted a piece of that as soon as he left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm aging myself terribly there, but I can't, I mean, that's, that's the truth. I needed it. I had to have it. That's wonderful. I still have it. <laughs> wow. That's great. What Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Uh, that would be, uh, uh what is that uh, from frozen i think it's i'm probably not alone in this um i can't remember the title of it from the sequel or the original or the original let it go yes thank you let it go it's a it's it's so it's lodged in my mind that i can't remember the title but yes that that song was uh, talk about an earworm i mean it's just brilliant that the whole thing i mean musically my and my my daughter is uh, she's a musician and she just could not get enough of it. And I agree, it's, it's been in my head ever since. Yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely a good one. There was a, about, a, I'd say about a year before the film came out, there was an event that D23 hosted that celebrated Disney animation. And they actually, at the time, previewed um, the song as oh, it was being okay. conceptualized. And, I'm, and, and I was there for it and I'm thinking to oh. myself, this is going to become a humongous hit. Like I couldn't imagine how this would right. be a sensation. Exactly. Yeah, I would have had the same thought. That's that's amazing. That's great. It was. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, 
Third question for you on the music front. What Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Let's see. Underrated. It's too soon for, uh, for Soul to be considered underrated. But boy, <laughs> that was that music uh, just that gave me chills. That, you know, those yeah. jazz, those improvisational piano pieces. Um, very special, you know, it's not, uh, but, um, you know, I, I, gosh, Tangled, was there music in Tangled? Oh <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because I, I do remember loving that and thinking, why is this, why are people, why is this not getting more, when I ask people about their favorite Disney, it just rarely gets mentioned, but I just thought that was terrific. And that was a, that was a straight up Disney, I don't, that was not Pixar, if I'm, if I remember correctly. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, it was part of that new renaissance for Disney animation. Yeah, I would probably go with that one as the most underrated of the uh, contemporary films, for sure. Wonderful. A couple of book questions for you, John. What is the most recent Disney-related book that you've read? Well, uh, that would be the... Uh, uh, earlier iteration of the art of customer service, which I'm now writing the new version of. So I don't know if that really counts. Um, hey, it's still applicable. <laughs> but about um, from the vault, I think it's called, and it's a uh, it's a ton of sort of uh, trivia questions about the studio, and because uh, I I'm such a fan of the uh, the history of the studio that I I. I thought, well, I got to have that. And so I did, I did get a copy from my editor and I plowed through it in about two hours. <laughs> I think if I remember correctly, I think that's a Dave Smith book. Yes, Dave Smith, who was, had just retired when I started going to the archive to work on my, uh, the World War II book. But I did speak with him over the phone and he gave me some, some critical guidance. So that was kind of cool. That's great. Uh, second question for you on the book front. And um, this might, uh, you might not want to answer this, but I'll ask it anyways. If you could write a Disney book on any topic that, that you haven't already covered, uh, what would it be about? Um, I would, let's see, that would probably be, um, I, well, I did want to write a book about Dumbo because I feel that, um, although it's kind of suffering um, reputationally because of uh, caricatures and so forth, um, that it represents this, this major shift in the way that Disney went about doing films, as you probably know, I'm sure you know, that it was a, it was a relatively low budget yeah. feature and it was a big money saver. I mean, people, it's amazing how people don't really, they're shocked when, they, when you tell them that Disney was um, not turning a profit until Snow White and then was back in the in the red again until Disneyland. You know, it's it's and so uh, Dumbo I thought would be a terrific book, but it's someone got I think someone is already doing the book or has done it. Um, if I remember correctly, that would have been my my first choice because again my uh, the one book I really wanted to write I did get to write, which was about the studio during the war, um, but. You know, I'm just endlessly fascinated by by Walt himself, and um, uh, you know, I'm not. I haven't finished trying to come up with new ideas for books about the studio. So, you know, 
I'll keep you posted. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll look forward to being a consumer. So, yeah, um, great. and then finally, a random question that varies with each guest. Um, so you interviewed obviously a, a good number of folks affiliated with ABC News for your book. If you could have interviewed anybody who you did not have the ability to, um, whether they are still alive or not, who would it have been and why? Well, that's easy. That would have been Rune Arledge. And the reason being, um, everything I've read about him, um, he just seemed like such a fascinating figure. And I'm, uh, I just, I, could, I would love to be able to sit down and figure out and ask him what made him tick and how he, you know, how he arrived at his, his uh, decisions and so forth, because everything he touched turned to gold, you know, whether it was with ABC Sports or the news division. And uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's a shame. I, he was the one figure that was so central to the history of this, this of, of the network that, um, you know, obviously um, Goldenson would have been great too, but uh, I think Rune Arledge would have been an incredibly uh, uh, fruitful interview on this, on this, you know, to talk about uh, the history of the studio. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I know there's some existing um, work out there on, on Arledge. And I think, yeah, that had he still been around that perspective would have been really interesting. I mean, apparently he was incredibly well-read and he prepared so well-prepared for every decision, everything that he did. And I, I like that the, the discipline, uh, uh, you know, intellectual discipline that that implies. So that would have, yeah, that would have been fun. Good deal. Finally, John, how can listeners follow your work and follow you online? Well, <laughs> you know, I'm, uh, as I intimated, I'm a little on the older side. I'm not, you know, 30, but, uh, so I, I don't have a, uh, I, you know, I don't really have a big, uh, media, social media platform. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm working on it. You know, I, I, at this point, as a writer, you can't ever sell a book to a publisher unless you've got some way of, of help of promoting it yourself. Uh, and if you've, if you've got a, a Twitter account with two followers, that's not going to cut it. So, uh, but if, but uh, you know, I guess I'm not sure how to answer. Maybe you can answer that question for me. Given, given that I don't have uh, a, uh, I do have a Twitter account. Uh, it's, it hasn't been used really. Um, you know, I'm kind of a Luddite, not, not willingly, but, uh, so what would you suggest? Well, I think it certainly for folks to look at your books on Amazon or wherever they can find books. Um, yeah. that's a good way to, to learn about uh, your products. And certainly I've come across some articles and a few interviews, of course, um, but, There's another but, John Baxter out there. That's the only thing who, uh, <laughs> when you're on, on Amazon, sometimes it links to this other guy who's, he's, he's even older than I am. Uh, and he's, he's from Australia and he's prolific. So he sort of, he has the, the algorithmic advantage over me. Uh, the, the challenges of having a, a relatively familiar name, I guess, John. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's so common. It's a UK, in the UK, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a John Baxter. <laughs> but we know that you, John Baxter, author, are um, the, you know, the person behind ABC News uh, 75 years in the making. 
And um, I, I just want to, again, thank you for your time and, and experiences and, and again, cataloging the, the development of a news division via this title. So really appreciate it, John. Oh, I appreciate it even more. Thank you so much for giving me your time and, and having me on. It's been a great pleasure. And I hope I was able to answer all of your questions adequately. Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. Thanks, John. Great. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you again to John for joining me on Notably Disney. If you are a fan of world history, television, or media, I definitely encourage you to check out ABC News 75 Years in the Making, and it is now available for purchase. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.